Don't you love to hear stories of how God is working in people's lives? You know, all, all the details are unique, but there's a common denominator, and that's Jesus is the hero. Everybody's life goes along, and then Jesus shows up, and it makes this major difference in their life. You know, everyone has a story. I have a story. You have a story. There's two kinds of stories. There's an autobiography, and there's a biography. We start out with an autobiography. We write our own story. And then when Jesus comes into our life, it becomes a biography because he writes the story at that point. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, you are a letter of Christ written by the Spirit of God. Isn't that cool? I'm writing my own life story, and then Jesus comes along, and he writes a new direction in my life, a new chapter. In fact, what is really life itself. And that's really what baptism represents. It's our identification with Jesus Christ in that when Jesus died, we died. When Jesus was buried, we were buried. And when Jesus rose, we rose with him to walk in newness of life. Now, in the context of all of these stories, I want to tell you another story. <clears throat> this is a Bible story. It's a Bible story I'm sure many of you are unfamiliar with, but I'm sure most of you can identify with. It's found in one of the smallest books in the Bible, Philemon. And a lot of what I'm going to say today is found between the lines in Philemon. Philemon was a man who lived in the city of Colossae, a city according to Colossians 2.1 that Paul had never visited. And yet we find out in verse 19 of this little letter, the end of that verse, that Paul had led Philemon to Christ. Because Paul says, you owe me yourself. If you listen carefully to the stories today, you, there was always somebody that they met. Was it Brett? Was it Joey? Was it Dana? Was it Juliet? This person met, and that person helped lead them to Christ. And there's an indebtedness to that person. Well, Philemon had an indebtedness to Paul because Paul led him to Christ. It didn't happen in the city of Colossae. Maybe it happened in Ephesus, which was 120 miles away, because Paul showed up in Ephesus, and he taught for two years in the city of Ephesus. Maybe Philemon was there, and he ran into Paul, and Paul led him to Christ. And Philemon came back to Colossae and started the church there. Now, Philemon was a rich man, a wealthy man. We know that for two reasons. Number one, verse two of Philemon tells us his house was large enough to hold the whole church. And secondly, we know that he had slaves. Slavery was common in the Roman Empire at that time, and the sign of a man of means was that he owned slaves. One of his slaves was a young man named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus knew the gospel because he saw the gospel lived out in his master. He heard the gospel from his master. He heard the gospel every week as he sat in the church services. He didn't have to go to church. Church came to him. Maybe part of his job was to clean up the house because we're having church tomorrow. 
He witnessed the changed lives of believers. He heard their stories. And I'm sure he probably politely went along with it. But he wasn't a believer. He might have smiled on the outside, but inside, he resented his circumstances. Inside, he felt like he was missing out on life. Inside, he was looking for an opportunity to find his freedom. He sat in church week after week, daydreaming. If I could just get out of here, I would really start living it up. And then one day, Philemon was probably out of town. And Onesimus was cleaning up his quarters. And he started going through some of Philemon's personal belongings. And he got an idea. And he got a duffel bag. And he took Philemon's money, his gold, his silver, his valuables, started trying on his wardrobe, the things that he could never afford and never wore, put those in the duffel bag, went and got his best horse, packed up all that he could carry, and fled under the cover of darkness. And here goes Onesimus, the slave, running free. He's now got money he never had. He's now got time he never had. He's able to make decisions he was never able to make. And he's saying to himself, I'm free. Just like we heard today from some. I'm going to college for four years and I get to do whatever I want. I'm free. And I'm sure it didn't take Onesimus long to discover The freedom comes with a price. The door that says freedom leads to bondage. Where did Onesimus go with his freedom? Well, we find out he went to the city of Rome. Rome was the biggest city in that day. It was the modern-day equivalent to New York City. So he's going to go there to New York City, to Rome, He's going to blend in with all the other people, all the mass of humanity. He's going to be able to hide his past. He's going to be undetected. He's going to be anonymous. He's going to fabricate a story about his identity. And he's going to have wine, women, and song. And he gets to Rome, and he begins to live it up, and he soon finds out that freedom leads to bondage because there are a lot of people that want to use you and abuse you and mistreat you. He probably experienced, maybe for the first time, the bondage of fear. Maybe for the first time fully the bondage of guilt. Say, now that I'm making my own choices and they're poor choices, now I feel the guilt of the responsibility of that. And then one day, Onesimus was, maybe he was sitting in the Colosseum watching the gladiators. Maybe he was sitting in a Roman bath. The guy next to him begins a conversation with him, and Onesimus is vague about his past, 
But he says, what I really want to do is see the world. And this man says, well, I know a fellow who's traveled the world. I know a fellow whose feet have touched every foot of the Roman roads. I know a brilliant man who could tell you all about the world. And Onesimus says, I'd like to meet that guy. Can you make an appointment with me? And the guy says, well, you don't need an appointment because this guy is under house arrest. This guy that can tell you all about freedom is not free. I'll show you where he is right now. And so he walks him over to a little house and he introduces him to the Apostle Paul. Now that's a guess. I don't know how, but somehow. In the huge city of Rome, Onesimus came in contact with Paul. And Paul pours into his life and leads him to Jesus Christ. Paul shows him that freedom is not found in running away. Freedom is found in Jesus Christ. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. The same gospel that penetrated the heart of his wealthy master penetrated the heart of this thieving slave. Because down deep, we're all the same. Down deep inside, doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're slave or free. Down deep inside, we have that God-shaped vacuum that only Jesus Christ can fill. You know, Onesimus discovered a principle that's familiar to many of us, and that is when we try to run farther from God, we often find that he's nearer. Have you experienced that? I ran from Cape Girardeau one time when I was 20 and thought I would get away from God and get away from all the influence, and I ended up in Denver, Colorado, and guess who met me there? Jesus Christ. The farther we run from God, the nearer he often is. Onesimus became a new man. In fact, in Colossians 4.9, Paul describes him as our faithful and beloved brother. He's a new man in Christ. He's growing in Christ. Things are going well. I imagine one day he came to the Apostle Paul and he said, there's something eating away at me. I haven't been totally transparent with you. You see, I told you I was from Asia Minor. I'm actually from the city of Colossae. And there's a man back there by the name of Philemon. And Paul says, you know Philemon? I led him to Christ. Next time you see Philemon, I want you to tell him hello. And Onesimus says, wait a minute, I I need to clarify. Philemon was not my friend. Philemon was my master. And when I left Colossae, I stole him blind. And now that I'm a Christian, I'd like to go back and make things right. But I've squandered all the money that I took. And I can't pay him back. And I'm afraid if I go back, he's going to turn me over to the authorities. 
and they're going to execute me. And so Paul says, I'll write a letter to Philemon. And when you get back there, don't say anything, just hand him the letter. So Paul sits down and he scribbles this brief note to his friend Philemon. And he gives it to Onesimus. And Onesimus heads back the 1,400 miles to the city of Colossae. Now I want you to imagine Philemon is sitting on his porch. He's reading the Colossae Sun-Times. He glances up from the newspaper and he sees somebody in the distance and he says, the way that guy walks reminds me of Onesimus. I haven't thought of that guy for a while. That thieving, no-good crook. Couldn't be Onesimus. He would never show his face here. So he turns the page to the sports page, reads the headline, Colossi Cardinals defeat Laodicea Cubs again. <laughs> Looks back up. It is Onesimus. And he's coming down the path to my house. The nerve of this guy. And Onesimus walks up and he sees the anger boiling up in Philemon. And so he hands him the letter and says, Sir, please read this. And so with one eye on Onesimus and one eye on the letter, he begins to read. Paul. You know Paul? Yeah, I just left him a couple weeks ago in Jerusalem. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul's in prison again? Yeah. He got arrested in Jerusalem, and now he's being held in Rome because he appealed to Caesar. And then he says, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, which is probably Mrs. Philemon. So he turns around and says, Aphia, come out here. And she comes out on the porch, and she sees Onesimus. And she says, how dare you come back here? You crook, what did you do with our money? And Philemon says, calm down, honey. He's got a letter from Paul. And then it adds that the letter's to guy by the name of Archippus, which I assume is their son, Archie. So he starts reading this note from Paul, and he reads quietly until he gets to verse 10, where it says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. My child. Paul's calling you his child and you were born in his imprisonment. Is Paul saying that you have been born again? And Onesimus says, yes. That's right. I don't know how Philemon responded to that. Maybe he was happy. I kind of think his first reaction may have been skeptical. Maybe he's thinking, how did you ever pull the wool over Paul's eyes. But he reads on, verse 11, 
who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. That's a play on Onesimus' name because Onesimus means useful. And so Paul says in the past he didn't live up to his name. But now that he's a believer, he's going to live up to his name. He's going to be useful. And Philemon is probably still thinking, you know, a name is one thing, but actions are another. I bet he didn't tell Paul what he stole from me. I, didn't, I bet he didn't tell Paul all that he did to offend me. But he keeps reading, and he gets to verse 17. And he says, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, notice, if he has wronged you, and he has, if he owes you anything, and he does, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Paul knows that Onesimus owes Philemon more than he can repay. And Paul says, charge it to my account. I'll pay for it. Now, I believe the reason this little personal letter is in the New Testament is because it's a picture of what Jesus did for you and me. We rebelled against God. We ran away from God. We owed God a debt we could never repay. And Jesus says to the Father, whatever he owes, whatever she owes, charge that to my account. His death on the cross paid your debt of sin completely. So that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can stand before God with those that we heard of today and we'll hear more of today. You can stand before God forgiven fully, freely, finally, and forever. What Paul did for Onesimus, Jesus has done for you. And when you read the Bible and you see it in, in there places where you fall short and where you see that you're a failure and you feel your guilt, what you can see in Scripture is because Jesus died on the cross, written across the pages of Scripture is the phrase, paid in full. Everything I fail in has been put to the charge of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now, do you think that after Philemon read this letter, that he said, okay, Onesimus, I've taken all that you owe me, and I've put it to Paul's account, now you can have your old life back. I forgive you because Paul 
has taken responsibility for what you did. Now I want you to go over to the slave quarters, get your old clothes on, and get busy in the fields. Well, if he did, his wife probably leaned in on him and said, Honey, you're not reading this letter very carefully. Because look at verse 17. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Honey, if Paul showed up, would you send him to the slaves' quarters? No. Well, Paul is telling us to treat Onesimus the exact same way we would treat Paul. So Aphia takes Paul to the guest room. You know, the one with all the pillows. Here you are. I never thought I'd ask you this, but what would you like for supper? We'll make whatever you want. We're going to do everything and anything for you that we would do for Paul. You know, that's what happens to you and me. Jesus pays our debt. Jesus says to the Father, charge that to my account. But not so that we can get back where we used to be. Not so that we can go back to our old life. Because Jesus also says to the Father, accept him as you would accept me why there's a great little phrase in the Bible, two words long, in Christ. It's used at least 164 times in the New Testament. When you become a believer, you, you come, become in Christ. That's what baptism symbolizes, that in Christ we're identified with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're in Christ. Ephesians 1.6 puts it this way, we are accepted in the Beloved. I'm told that sheep herders often lost sheep at birth. They would be stillborn. And sometimes during birth, the mother, the ewe, would die. And the, and the herders would try to take the, the orphan lamb and put it with another mother, but the mother would smell the lamb and have nothing to do with that lamb. And so I'm told that oftentimes the sheep herder would take that stillborn lamb and skin it and put the skin of that lamb over the orphan lamb and put it with the mother. And the mother would smell that rather awkward-looking lamb and say, he's got the family smell. So I'm going to Feed him and protect him and nurture him and mother him. See, when I stand before God, I don't simply stand there as Dan Green. I stand there as if I were Jesus Christ. I stand there clothed in Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God died in our place. 
And he has not only forgiven you, he has clothed you with his righteousness. See, God doesn't see me as simply a forgiven sinner. He sees me in Christ, which means he treats me like he treats Christ. All that the Father will do for Jesus, he will do for you. You are accepted in the beloved. Bob Hamill is my father-in-law. He's the only father-in-law I've known. When I first met him, I met him as dating his daughter and then engaged to his daughter and then married to his daughter. And I remember going to his house and Bob almost right at the beginning said, here's the key to our house. Oh, wow, that's pretty, pretty nice. Well, every time I came to his house, he said, you want some food? The refrigerator's yours. Help yourself. When my car broke down, which it often did back then, I would call Bob and he'd say, here's my car. Take my car. When my car broke down, Bob would come fix it. He still does. But you know, Bob didn't do that for me because I'm Dan Green. Bob did that for me because I was accepted in the Beloved. You see, her privileges were my privileges. Her position was my position. Her possessions became my possessions. All that they would do for her and give to her, they gave to me. They treated me like the daughter they loved dearly. And that's what God does to you and me. When we're in Christ... His position becomes our position. His privileges become our privileges. His possessions become our possessions because we are accepted in the Beloved. So in closing this morning, let me ask you, what's your story? Is it an autobiography or a biography? Are you writing your own story? Or is the Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ writing your story? Have you rebelled against God? Have you robbed from God? Have you run from God? Well, Jesus says you can go back home with a letter signed by him and sealed by his blood that says your debt is paid in full and you are accepted in the beloved. As we close our service today, we're going to remember what it cost Jesus to write that letter for you and me. We're going to take the bread and the cup this morning and remember his body and his blood which he sacrificed for you and me to make it possible for us to be forgiven, to make it possible for us to be accepted by God in the Beloved. I'm going to give thanks for the bread and the cup. If you're a believer here today, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you're a believer, this is the Lord's Supper. He invites you to come. Prepare your heart before you come. Thank Him today for what He's done for you.
And then like Onesimus, come and celebrate the bread and the cup because you're accepted in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the stories we've heard today, for the way you work miracles in people's lives, for the miracle you worked in Onesimus' life so long ago, and the reminder that we're all like him. Lord, today as we take the bread and the cup, we are reminded of the one common denominator, and that is we all must come to the foot of the cross. We all must accept the payment, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God and acknowledge that the Lamb of God is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Today, as we examine our hearts, as we look in honesty and transparency to you, I pray that we would take the bread and the cup and truly be thankful for what you've done for us, but also celebrate that our story is not over and you're still writing new chapters in our lives. We pray that they would glorify you. In Jesus' name.